0: Okay, I'm going to pray and we'll get going. Lord Jesus, everything we need is found in you. Uh, everything we are comes from you. And so we pray this morning that you would come to us, bless us, feed us and teach us. Uh, this is your day and we pray that we'd rejoice and be glad in it. Uh, we come empty handed, uh, resting on the goodness of your character alone. And so we ask for your blessing in your own name. Amen. Okay, so uh, keeping going on our series, thinking about Adam and Eve in exile, what does it mean to be men and women um, in a fallen world? Uh, We've been trying to trace through the Bible this idea of complementarity. We said the whole universe is made by God to to be full of these complementary pairs, sun and moon, um, land and sea, Uh, night and day and male and female and what I want to do uh, we've we've sort of zipped through the Old Testament what I want to do um, this week is look at marriage particularly um, although not quite exclusively in the New Testament Um, this isn't however a series on marriage and relationships so obviously we're not going to get close to touching on everything the Bible has to say about marriage, singleness um family children and all the rest of it but I want to keep our kind of our, our eyes if you like on that big picture as we try and sort of walk through scripture and see um, the complementarity of male and female uh, but let's start with singleness um, singleness is something that's not spoken about loads directly in the old testament uh, but as we come to the new testament um, clearly there are changes, particularly changes in the people of God. But the gospel goes international, doesn't it? It's no longer primarily based about one nation, the nation of Israel. Uh, and so the, the structure of God's people, families, clans, tribes, um, even cities in the Old Testament, um, is no longer the structure for, for, for most of us today. Um, likewise, most of us don't live in countries that have the same kind of laws as Old Testament Israel did. In fact, those civil laws, as they call, those national laws, um, don't bind us anymore. So when you read the Old Testament, you read laws about, I don't know, boundary markers or how you're meant to build your house, or they're not binding us anymore, at least directly. And what that means is that the gospel is no longer going, and the word of God is no longer going to one culture, as it basically is all the way through the Old Testament. More or less, I know you get Moabites coming in and there are some converts. Jonah goes off to uh, to Nineveh, doesn't he? But more or less, the Old Testament is monocultural. It's all about the people of Israel, God's people in God's land. Whereas now, clearly the gospel goes to the ends of the earth. And in the book of Acts, it sort of spreads out um, from Jerusalem. And therefore, difficult new questions uh, arise. Um, Even in this area of marriage. So, um, in in uh, the letter of, to the Corinthians, Paul addresses a question. Well, what if I'm 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 already married, and then and then I become a Christian, but my spouse hasn't. Maybe my wife hasn't. What, what do I do? Am I meant to to leave her? Am I meant to stay with her? How does that work? That's just not a question the Old Testament addresses because it's almost an inconceivable question. Okay, you just don't marry a non-Israelite, and everyone's an Israelite anyway. Uh, likewise, most I, one of the things. It's been really interesting this last term. Actually, has been, um, I think, an exciting thing God has done at church. It's brought people from all sorts of different cultures to Christchurch Central. Got all different language backgrounds, countries, nations. And we're well into double figures now, and that means that um, when I make statements like, you know, we don't grow up in societies that, uh, I'm increasingly aware that actually maybe some of us have. <laughs> so I, I, I naturally think of England, which is where I grew up, um, and when I think of the UK it is very obvious that our society is, is nothing like ancient Israel and its structure. Uh, maybe you grew up in a, fam- in a society that is a bit closer to it, but very, one of the most sort of obvious differences um, is that in Old Testament Israel, you grew up in households, and you didn't leave that household until you got married. So if you didn't get married, you, you just didn't leave. So particularly with daughters they were always under the care of their father until they got married, at which point they'd be under the care, the protection, the provision of their new husband. So the whole idea of kind of a single person living on their own out there in the world is just, it's just it's almost unimaginable in the Old Testament. Now, you get the odd tragedy, you get widows and orphans, obviously, but it, it's just not really a concept. Whereas, obviously, for us, it just is, isn't it? Like loads of us, um, again, particularly if you grew up in the UK, you'd have got to 18 and just left home to go to work or go to study or you know, 16 years old, 18 years old, 21 years old, whatever it is. Now, it may be the case that our society would be in a better place if it was a bit more like Old Testament Israel, but the reality is it isn't. Okay? So I'm leaving aside the kind of what should society look like for now question and just acknowledging that we live in a mess, messy world uh, where we don't conform to all the patterns of God's people in the Old Testament. And therefore, unsurprisingly, singleness is addressed directly in the New Testament in a way that it isn't in the Old. And hopefully it goes without saying that singleness isn't an embarrassment. Um, It's not seen as a failure. It's obviously not second-class status. Uh, Most obviously, Jesus was single. Paul was single. So the the two most significant characters in the New Testament uh, were single. Um, So if you've got a Bible, come with me to 1 Corinthians 7, please. 1 Corinthians 7. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, then 1 Corinthians. If you get to any of the other Ian's letters, you've gone gone too far. 1 Corinthians 7. And Corinthians is a funny letter. It's, it's a bit less structured than some of Paul's letters. Um, it's more kind of now... Let me talk about this, and now let me talk about that, and now let me talk about that. And in chapter 7, he's talking largely about a bunch of questions the Corinthians have raised in the whole area of relationships, marriage, engagement, sex, children. And so we're not, by no means going to try and work through the, the, the chapter, because it takes all sorts of twists and turns. But let's just jump in at a few places, not all the places, but a few places, where he deals with, the, with singleness, or addresses it directly. So verse 6 now, as a con- concession, not a command, I say this: I wish all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of the other. To the unmarried, case okay, so single, and the widows, I say it's good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. So there you go. Paul says, look, I, I think I, it's not a command. But I think it's good to stay single. Uh, you can even say, verse 7, I wish everyone was like I am. But we each have our different gifts. We're different, made differently. We've got different callings, different types of people. So, of course, if you want to get married, go for it. And equally, um, verse 9, if you can't exercise self-control, marry. In other words, if you can't stay sexually pure as a single person, well, aim to get married. Um, we'll jump further down the chapter, verse 32. Yeah, why is Paul saying, I, I, you know, I reckon, frankly, I wish everyone was like me? Verse 32, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. It's the idea, you know, you're, you're split. If you're married, you, you, your heart's in two places, your spouse and the Lord. If you're not married, you can be more single-hearted. But, verse 35, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. It's not a command, it's not better to be single. You know, I grew up in a world, that might seem strange to some of you, but the kind of world I was converted in and discipled in, it was definitely best to be single if you can't hack it okay you can get married but try and delay for as long as possible it causes cause all sorts of problems as you might imagine uh, but just the culture of the kind of yeah that, that's just the, the world i was sort of brought up in that space or not brought up converted into but Paul, paul's, paul's really not saying you have to get married or you have to stay single as if it's kind of better or worse he's just said look i i think there are loads of advantages to singleness single-mindedness all the rest of it but totally okay to marry. So, verse 40, he ends his sort of thoughts on singleness. Yet, my judgment, she, this is an unmarried woman, is happier if she remains as she is. In other words, Paul has a high view of singleness. It's not um, second-class status. It's not um, you know, a terrible, tragic accident. Um, it's not something to be ashamed of. Um, Paul sees the, the, the blessings in being single, so, um, just round tables for, for five minutes, or so. say. Think about church life. What would a church with a healthy attitude to singleness look like? Um, and, and, and think, try and think, I mean, think of the verses we just looked at, if that helps, well, I hope it does help. Um, but do feel free to go beyond that and think about some of the things we've seen in sort of big picture over the last few weeks as well. So what would, what would a healthy attitude to singleness Look like what would we, yeah, what would we do? How do we talk about it? How do we act? That kind of thing. Five minutes. round tables. Let's go. Okay, we're going to do a, another discussion. So let me interrupt there. Um, so tell us what a, what a healthy church culture of singleness would look like. <coughs> Let me, let me suggest a few things um, some which you, you might have spoken about some which you might not have done. Um, obviously to, it's something to be celebrated not denigrated and it, it's good to accept as a fact that not everybody wants to get married okay? and, that, and that's okay um, sometimes it's a kind of assumption oh you, you know I don't know you're a man or a woman you're not married you, like, they must want to poor them Maybe they don't, actually. Some people are, some people are happy, um, single, married. Um, and that's fine. I suspect that's what Paul's getting at with the gift of singleness, gift of marriage language. It's a, it's a little bit tricky. Because um, obviously if you're married, you can't say, well, I haven't got the gift of marriage, so I'm going to just leave my wife. So it's not a gift in the sense that you can, you know, if you don't think you've got it, you can ignore your status. But I think it probably is, I think it, yeah, I think it probably is the case that some people just have a, a sort of a, a God-given... Settleness with being, um, with being single, and others don't um, so um, so knowledge that someone not ever wants to be married just because they're single, but equally, I think <laughs> uh, because of these verses we 've looked at, sometimes we can be really uncaring towards people who are single who want to get married. It's like, oh you know like, you know you're, you're single Paul says it 's even better. lucky you, try not to get married even though we 're happily married um, and single people can be made to feel like almost guilty for, for wanting to be married, which I don't think that should be the case at all. If you just look at those verses of 1 Corinthians 7, nothing else in the whole Bible, maybe you might draw that conclusion, although even that, I think, is pushing it. But as we've seen the whole sweep of Scripture, marriage is clearly a God-given gift that many people desire. Now, um, it, it may be that you or your friend or whatever isn't married and you'd like to be. Um, it's totally okay to pray that God would give you a spouse um, not to feel guilty for sort of having those those feelings those desires um, obviously everyone who is now married wanted to get married others wouldn't be married so it'd you know, be pretty hypocritical for all the married people to be like oh well, no you should just you know you shouldn't want to get married you should be happy single um, yeah um, what that can mean therefore is that um, you've got a bunch of people who quite like to be married but it just hasn't happened yet for whatever reason um, what what are they lacking that they wouldn't um, be lacking if they were married? Or what are they lacking um, that they wouldn't be lacking if we were set up maybe a bit more like God's people were in the Old Testament? And the very obvious answer is um, inclusion in family life. It can be incredibly lonely living on your own, particularly if you've moved away from your your parents and the people you grew up with. You're living in a new city. Maybe you're in a flat on your own or something. It can be incredibly isolated. So I think it it probably is um, important for those of us um, who are married or perhaps have families and kids or whatever to have a particular eye out to those who are single and try and sort of include them into, into family life if that's, again, if that's what they want. Not to patronise them, but just to make sure that they, they do have a family in the church. Um, because, again, for most of us, we're just not living in that situation where our our um, sorry, biological family uh, are necessarily particularly around and about um, to care for us. Obviously, at the end of the day, everybody... Is single pre marriage, and over 50% of people who get married end up single again at some point in their life. Um, See, death, and then sadly, some marriages dissolve, um, divorce. And ultimately, marriage dissolves anyway at the resurrection, so it's not the ultimate thing. That is one thing we need to remember whether we're married or single, it is not the key that unlocks joy, happiness, satisfaction. It's all meant to be heading towards this great day uh, when Christ and his bride uh, are reunited. Um, I'm sure there's all sorts of other things talked about but if we do feedback from six tables it's going to take all morning so let's press on think a bit about marriage um, Genesis is set in the pattern hasn't it one man and one woman bound together in a lifelong union and even in the book of Genesis we get distortion of that we get polygamy for example um, polygamy where one man marries one woman and then he marries another woman so polygamy is, is a distortion Polygamous marriages are still marriages, though. This, I just, this is a bit of a sort of side, sidebar, as it were, but it, it, I, I think it's, it's useful to understand this. Um, when Jacob marries Rachel and Leah, he is genuinely married to both of them because each of those marriages is one, married, one man married to one woman. So if it's, it's, it's Jacob married to Rachel and Jacob married to Leah, it's not Jacob, Leah and Rachel married in some sort of Three or something like that. Did you see, so it's not like Rachel and leah are together. So it's—it's it's a distortion. Okay, it's not good. <laughs> um, but they are legit marriages. Um, the reason I say that is that sometimes people use the polygamy that you get in the Old Testament as an argument to justify same-sex marriage. Well, look at—you know—look at Jacob. He marries two wives. That's a distortion of Genesis two. So um, why should it make any difference if we just change the, the sex? But actually, I mean, frankly, to be blunt about it, there's no such thing as same-sex marriage. It just isn't a marriage. You can't marry two men um, or two women um, because marriage is the union of two people of opposite sex, Christ and the church. They're different. Um, so whereas polygamy is a bad distortion, it is still a marriage. Whereas same-sex, whatever you want to call them, are just not marriages. They're not in the same category at all. Um, obviously there's loads of stuff we can say about marriage endless books but let's just look at these patterns and interestingly in the New Testament there are three main marriage patterns and uh, sorry, passages and the pattern is the same in each although each time the way that the, the, the pattern is justified or explained is slightly different um, so let's look at them Colossians 3 well we'll look at two together and then one you can do in groups Colossians 3 Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians And verse 18, I will see that the pattern each time is that husband's meant to be leading and the wife submitting, which is what we saw in the garden, isn't it? Adam and then Eve was made as a helper. It's not a demeaning word. saw that back in the day, but um, there is an ordering to the relationship. So verse 18, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh. With them. You see that the echoes of Eden. Why is the husband, um, sorry, why is the wife to submit to your husband? Because it's fitting in the Lord. It just means that is how he has set it up, that's the structure he's made. So there's nothing here about Christ in the church or any of those pictures. Um, it's just fitting, it's just right. That's, that's the good way of living. And you see the, the, the warnings: husbands, don't be harsh and domineering. Love your wives, do not be harsh with them. Remember the threat in Eden, sorry, the curse in Eden, um, uh, where Eve was warned um, that from now on her husband, his desire, your desire before him, and he will rule over you. And we said there, it's not a, that's not a godly, you know, sacrificial leadership. The danger in a fallen world now is that some husbands will become domineering, like crushing your wife, kind of thing. No sympathy, no love, no gentleness, just submit. Equally, your desire, Eve is told your desire will be for him and we said that's a kind of it's not a nice oh I love you Adam it's a kind of clawing pulling him down kind of desire and so that's counted Colossians 3 submit to your husband as is fitting so there's the basic pattern um, flick on a few pages to 1 Peter 3 so get through um, Hebrews and James Find 1 Peter and the same pattern emerges again this leadership submission pattern so beginning of chapter three likewise wives be subject to your husbands so that even if some of them don't obey the word they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct okay again be subject to your own husbands why well here it's evangelistic okay peter is imagining uh, christian women who are married to non-christian men and as they live out there, you know, he's even saying you submit to your non-Christian husband. Not if he forces you to sin, obviously, but the same pattern applies. It's not a special Christian thing. It's just how all marriages are meant to be. And when you live out that godly pattern, your respectful conduct and pure conduct. So why is it meant to respect their husband? That's another theme that comes up in um, Ephesians and, and 1 Peter. Then God willing, it'll win him over, win him to the faith. Um, do not let your adorning be external the braiding of hair the putting on of gold jewellery or the clothing you wear but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord and you are her children if you do good and don't fear anything that is frightening um, I'm not going to pick all of that apart but you see that the basic emphasis your character is what counts here and it's particularly sort of exegesis, don't you know, not 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 um not being totally concerned what you know gold and flashy jewelry and amazing clothes and really sort of showing off externally but the, the quiet spirit um that, that loves and submits to our husband so even just from those two passages we can see this is not some kind of First century, just about Ephesus, <coughs> kind of thing. Sometimes people sort of look at the Ephesian letter, which is what we're about to look at, and say, well, this is a particular situation in that particular city at that particular time. But actually, we've already seen it in Colossae uh, and in wherever Peter's writing to people who are all over the place. Okay, they're, they're, they're scattered. And they're just applying the pattern from Genesis. Okay, so it is not just a one passage thing in the New Testament. Uh, and notice it, we're not told. Um, We're not told the husband, um, husbands, you ought to be the head of the marriage or be the head of the marriage. We're just told the husband is the head of marriage. You can do it well, you can do it badly, but you are the head. And that takes us to Ephesians 5, which is the longest of these um, marriage passages and probably the one that gets used most at weddings and discussed the most because it's got the most detail. So, I'm going to read it. And then i have put some discussion questions down um, for you around the tables. Let me read it. so we're all in the same place. Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we're members of his body. Therefore, Genesis, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So, um, round tables, over to you again. Um, Three or four questions on Ephesians 5. Okay, um, I'm sure you probably haven't got to the end, but... um, We need to draw things to a close um, let me say a few, few thoughts to be close um, the husband's duties and what implications does it have um, clearly the command is there love your wives top of the bottom of the passage that, that frames the whole thing husbands love your wives bottom husbands love your wives And it um, there's content given to what it means to love your wife by being given the the pattern of um jesus again loads of stuff you can pull out there which you know we're not gonna have time to one thing that we perhaps we don't look at so often um yes jesus gave his life for for the church and so we talk about you know how to lay your life, life down for your wife um certainly big things okay if the, the burglar breaks into a house it should be you going not her um the titanic goes down someone shouts women and children first you don't say no that's so sexist that's uh you know why can't i go first um it's interesting actually ukraine very interesting um i mean absolutely tragic obviously but um i don't know if you saw one thing the press up actually um so with the, with um the ukrainian men all being told you know you can't flee the country um you, you need to stay and fight whereas the women and children can um and just some one 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 person on I mean, classic social media, but then got liked so many times that the press picked it up. One person saying it's not a good look for you, Ukraine. Um, essentially, it's, it's not good that you're showing in your Arab need. It's not showing that you're showing you're still sexist um, by uh, you know making the men's den fight, but not the women. You know what's wrong with women? Okay, so I mean, it, I mean, it's total madness, isn't it? Absolute madness. But it's there. Um, Anyway, so we... Th- Sorry, that's, <laughs> that's a rant. Um, we, we, um, we, we think about yeah, dying in front of the bullet, but actually much harder for most husbands, if we're honest, is dying to change the baby's nappy at 2am, um, dying to ourselves and not doing the kind of like, oh, yeah, okay, but isn't it your turn? That kind of like big, like hammy death scene on stage. Um, or, um, yes, the death to sell stuff. And actually the big aim... It's the sanctification uh, of the church from Christ's point of view. So um, he washes us with water and the word. Now, ultimately, Christ is always the source of sanctification. It's not as if the husband can sanctify his wife in the same way as Christ can sanctify us because we're not the Messiah. But, um, but that should be our, our goal as husbands, yeah, the, our, our wife's growth in godliness. So we need to know the Bible um, if we're going to help sort of teach it. Um, so your goal, if you're a husband, is your wife's sanctification, that is a more important goal than your career progression, your sporting success, your hobbies. Whatever else fills your mind, your goal is meant to be your wife's sanctification. And what's the significance of loving as Christ as the church? Okay, we've talked about the sacrifice. Um, you know, It might mean giving up your Xbox or your football on a Saturday afternoon or whatever it is, I don't know. Um, but also it's... A, Question of taking responsibility. Christ takes responsibility, doesn't He? He's the the covenant head of the church. He takes responsibility for His people's sins. Now, again, if a wife sins, it's not that the husband is guilty for the wife's sin, but neither can he say about this woman he's bound to, and the two have become one flesh. <sighs> look at her, Lord. You know, look what she's done now. Okay, um, it's not like your car's broken down. This third thing, He's meant to take responsibility. It's interesting. Job confesses the sins of his all his family, sacrifices for all his family at the beginning of the book of well, book, book of Job. Um, you know, or Joshua. As for me and my household, um, so I do think husbands are meant to be bringing the whole household's problems, sins, issues to the Lord, not just their own. Um, it's not each of us stands individually. And, and I think verse thirty-three is when we look at less often than perhaps we should, because we get sucked into fights about submission. Um, the the basic things: love your wife, wife respect your husband. Um, I think the reason those two are highlighted is, first of all, because we're built that that is what kind of drives us in many ways, you know, wives are meant to be loved, um, husbands thrive when they're respected, um, but also that it, it's the reverse of the curse again, isn't it? Okay, Eve did not respect Adam in the garden, um, That the order was inverted, it was meant to be God, Adam, Eve, Satan, <laughs> not even anywhere in the order, and it's got reversed in it, Satan, Eve, who gives the fruit to Adam, and they all ignore God. So that, that kind of reversal thing is going on. Um, and likewise, Adam is not loving Eve in the garden. Um, he's not absent when she does it, so we haven't got time to look at it, but if you look at it, it says Adam was there with her when she took the fruit. So the way he's not, the way a husband can essentially hurt his wife obviously is the front foot domineering Well, one extreme, horrible extreme of kind of abuse and violence. Um, or just sort of attacking words. That is obviously a bad danger. But equally, a husband can do real damage to his wife if he just standoffish. offish. I'm not. I'm not going to do all that. You know, all that old-fashioned stuff about leading the marriage. No, I'm a modern man. You know, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to. And that's what Adam is doing in the garden. Hey, Eve. You, you know, you're your own woman. You stand on your own two feet. Okay. If you want to try the fruit, try the fruit. And so that sort of husbands who are absentees or dads who are absentees, absconding from their responsibility to lead, um, also is incredibly damaging. Um, uh, hence, the summary command love your wife. Again, happy to chat. Um, let me pray. Uh, Father in heaven, these, uh, these responsibilities are weighty. Uh, we praise you that ultimately uh, our sanctification, our, our, our future hope and glory rests not in our hands but in Jesus. But we pray that you would make each of us faithful to the calling you've given us. If we're single, we pray that we would be wholehearted in our devotion. Um, to the Lord if we're married we pray that we would um, if husbands lovingly and sacrificially lead uh, if wives um, respect uh, our husbands we know we're married to sinners and we're sinners ourselves and uh, we pray you wouldn't let us invent excuses to wiggle off um, the duties you've given us I pray for those um, uh, marriages where uh, one partner at the moment is not um, either not aware or just ignoring their duties, uh, and pray that um, uh, you would wake us up in those situations. I also pray for grace for um, the other spouse that they don't try and engineer their their partner's obedience, but focus on their own heart before um, before you, their God. And we pray you'd raise up many healthy marriages and families, uh, many thriving singles in Christ Church <coughs> over the years to come. We trust ourselves therefore to you, in Jesus' name, Amen.